The understatement of the year is that COVID has changed everything. And when the world changes, then how we do things needs to change as well, or we're going to risk being left behind. Our guest today is Angelo Pucci from Fanuc, a veteran in the robotics space who brings manufacturers a unique perspective on how to manage your facility in a changing world. This is episode number five of the Making Things Better podcast, where we deal with all things manufacturing and automation. Thank you, Angelo. Thank you, Eric, for coming on to the Making Things Better podcast. This is the podcast where we talk all things manufacturing and design first. So, Eric, uh, Eric and Angelo, thank you uh, so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Yeah, my name is Eric Martin, uh, owner of J Animation. Uh, we're about making things better. We're in our 21st year of, uh, of business, and, uh, and we're actually a partner of uh, Fanix as a systems integrator. So looking forward to chatting with Angelo. Excellent. And my name is Angelo Pucci. I'm a district manager for Fanix Robotics uh, here based out of Mississauga. I've been with the company for uh, going on 27 years now. Well, 27 years, that's a lot of uh, a lot of time, Angelo. I presume you've yeah. probably seen a lot of applications over the years. And, uh, you know, we're, we're in an interesting time during the uh, the pandemic time here. Um, Absolutely. Kind of a question maybe to kind of start things off. Um, how do you how do you see the, the COVID uh, affecting manufacturing the last last year? Uh, it, it, it's affected it quite a bit. Um, it, it, in the, the, one of the main areas it's really affected is uh, just in pure labor force and the ability to have people uh, do what they need to do, uh, either in small confined areas uh, or uh, the lack thereof because of restrictions, because of the fact that there may have been an outbreak in a certain facility and now your labor pool has been drastically reduced, uh, or the fact that, uh, you know, in the early stages when everything was completely locked down and when we're back into that sort of phase again here today, uh, where companies that uh, that always had, I would say, a, a, a bit of a labor issue or, or a bit of consistency consistency issues there, uh, COVID has really amplified their need to figure things out and to be able to automate the processes. And the processes they really need to automate are um, what I call the um, uh, the non-value add busy hands type work, uh, uh, the non-skilled labor. And, and I hate to say it that way, but that's that's the areas that have greatly been affected is, is just the basic labor of, you know, taking apart, moving it from A to B, uh, shoveling things around. I call it non-value add work you're really not adding a, it's not skilled labor you're not adding a lot of value to the part you're just you know moving it from a to b and uh, we're seeing a lot of companies where um, they're having issues with being able to keep labor to do that in the area and in the space that they have the other big area that we can talk to about too is just uh, uh, in the food industry and in the primary mm-hmm. services industries where these those traditionally were very labor intensive and COVID has completely put them on their ear as well. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. Um, so with with those changes that uh, that you mentioned, uh, um, I, see, I presume you're seeing lots of applications coming in questions. Um, what kind of advice are you giving uh, customers when they're looking at changes? Is this something to think about for the short term or, or should they be thinking long term? 
No, absolutely long-term. Short-term thinking is what's gonna actually cost you the most amount of money and create you the most amount of headache. You wanna think long-term. And what you wanna do there, especially for a new customer, is a few things. Um, you want to uh, you want to plan long-term. You want to design uh, for automation upfront. So if you are gonna change some of your equipment, you are gonna start investing capital money into whatever you need to change. You don't wanna necessarily do it all at once, but as you go along those stages, you wanna make sure you keep in mind, okay, I'm building this next part. Uh, it may be manually operated for now, but it's designed for the implementation eventually of using automation. The other thing that I strongly recommend, especially to first time users is get involved with a really good integrator and have them assist you in what you need to do. Uh, they're the experts in their field. They're there to basically integrate the automation on your behalf and provide all that equipment and not that experience, that knowledge, that engineering. If you're gonna try and do this yourself for the first time, uh, it's gonna cost you 10 times, 100 times more than what it should be in the long run, really. You brought up, brought up an interesting term, design for automation. Uh, yeah. What do you mean by that, Angelo? Uh, design, well, basically robots automation, they're just, forgive me, glorified, dumb, repeatable computers. They just, they just do the same process over and over and over again. And uh, the key to them being successful is what you're trying to handle is repeatable. It's gonna be in the same spot every time uh, or reasonably within the same spot every time. So when you're, when you're building equipment and you're, you're designing for that, you wanna design keeping in mind that eventually a robot or a piece of automation is gonna be doing that process for you. So if you keep the design automation, design for automation principles in the back of your mind, all the, throughout the entire process. When you go to implement the equipment, it just becomes so much easier. I see so many customers go out there and buy a lot of equipment and it's just off the shelf stuff. And then they realize, okay, now I want to put a robot in front of this. Oh, geez, I need to change three quarters of what I just bought because the robot doesn't fit in what I needed to do within the equipment that I just purchased. And again, that's also why you want to have a really good skilled integrator do the work uh, uh, in, in partnership with you. The, the integrator is the expert in the automation. You're the expert in your individual field. You know the product that you manufacture, you know your business, uh, and you know what needs to happen there. The integrator knows what needs to happen with the automation, how it needs to be implemented, how it needs to be programmed, and how it needs to be designed. Yeah, and maybe just kind of digging into that a little bit more, why do you, why do you think, um, why, why is it tempting for people to just, to skip that or why might people think they're not even skipping that, but are skipping that design process? Uh, a lot of people think, okay, you know, there's, you know, everyone in each individual company, everyone employs a lot of very intelligent, smart, capable people. And I think, you know what, we can do this in house. We can probably save a few dollars. Uh, we should be able to figure this out on our own. And uh, I mean, to their credit, a lot of them can, but they're um, in dealing with automation for as long as I have. Um, there, there's the the regulations are constantly evolving, changing. There's always new technology. There's new things, new better ways of doing things, and um, uh, when you deal with an expert, an integrator that's that's qualified in doing what they're supposed to be doing, they can prevent you from falling into the pitfalls of what you're going to you're going to fall into when you're just kind of doing this on your own and, uh, you know, taking step A to step B to step C. And then you, you fall down, you stumble a little bit and then you need to, OK, back up. OK, I just figured that out. Now I can go to step C. When you when you employ someone, when you when you're involving an integrator that really knows all of that, they're going to avoid a lot of the pitfalls because they already know uh, what those pitfalls are. When you're doing it for yourself for the first time, you don't necessarily know where the pitfalls are until you're in it. 
A good, a good point. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing that. Uh, out of curiosity, I mean, you've you've mentioned uh, uh, how companies are are looking at the new technology, and there are some some interesting uh, ways of tackling. Is there any any kind of solutions or applications that you're that you could share that you're seeing people out there doing that? Of course, that you're you're allowed to share. Uh, a lot of the the. the the, the next big frontier for, for automation um, for the last little while has been um, vision, 2D vision, 3D vision, more importantly, 3D vision and bin picking. Uh, again, I call that busy hands work where you've got product coming in either in bins or in, in large containers, or you got product going out. So you finish your manufacturing process and you need to put it into large bins to ship it to the next location. Uh, in the good old days, uh, I mean, 2D vision has been around for a long time. Uh, and it works and it works very well. Uh, one of the areas that was a little bit more challenging up until a few years ago was was uh, 3D bin picking or 3D picking where you're dealing with the part in X, Y, and Z. So in, uh, in, um, in orientation and in depth. Now with 3D bin, with 3D vision, you can deal with all that now and you can eliminate a lot of the um, higher end um, fixturing and stuff that you require in order to make the part repeatable so that you can handle it. That's one big area that we see a lot of expansion in. Another one is, uh, and we can talk about this in a great amount of detail, is collaborative robots. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another big area where it's it's the buzzword right now in a lot of automation, and um, uh, they're really good. Uh, the only challenges that you need to make sure you deal with with collaborative robots is making sure, just like any piece of automation, putting it applying the cobot in the right application at the right time. I've had a lot of customers come to me saying, I'm hearing a lot about cobots. I want to buy a cobot and put it into my production. Well, wait a minute here. Let's take a step back. What is your production? What do you need to do? What are your goals? And does a cobot really achieve what those goals are? Some people think, well, it's a cobot. I don't need a safety fence. I don't need any uh, fancy safety equipment. It's, it's, it's safe for operators. I can plunk it in anywhere. Well, I've been doing this for almost 27 years now. Not once has a customer ever come to me saying, I want the robot to go slower and I want it to carry less payload. And essentially that's what happens when you implement the cobot. The, the rule of thumb for cobots is if an operator has to be within the reach of the robot while the robot is moving, it has to be a cobot. There's, there's just no way around that. But if the operator, if he or she doesn't have to be in the immediate reach of the robot at all times, there's other technologies you can look at. You can look at fenceless technologies. You can look at area scanners. There's different ways of doing that. So again, it all circles back to if you're looking at automation and you've got questions, get a hold of a reputable integrator. Go through what your requirements are with them and they will tell you, okay, you know what? A cobot might make sense here or just a regular robot will make sense here. Or you know what? Something completely different might make sense here. Sorry, that was a bit of a long-winded answer. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, no, I mean, what you're sharing there is is the uh, the ideas come from from the customers. What I grab from what you're saying, um, yeah. but kind of the next step would be is is to determining if it, it actually will give them a return on their investment going Absolutely. through the automation design d- design right. strategy. Yeah. Exactly. The last thing you want to do is automate just because you think you need to automate. I mean, you should be automating. You shouldn't be looking at it, but you want to look at what makes the most sense, what gives you the biggest bang for your buck. Uh, A lot of uh, one important thing new customers, new people in automation should look at is is use the KISS principle. 
Keep it simple, pick a simple application up front, automate that. That way you get comfortable with the automation, your employees get comfortable with the automation, you get the training, you get the experience, you get the working knowledge of it, and then you start going towards the more complicated aspects of what you need to automate. Again, it gives you the best bang for your buck up front, and then you can start to basically uh, uh, multiply that throughout your facility. Yeah, um, so Angelo, I've got a question for you in regards to the the usage of robots. And uh, I know manufacturing, um, especially small to medium manufacturers, are wondering, should I automate? Should I implement automation? And we've been talking about doing design first. Um, can you speak into what you're seeing in the market in the next year and the year out where um, the increase in sales of robots and, and where manufacturing is going to be and why manufacturing really should be adopting to automation? So why they should be and secondly is is are you seeing are you seeing an increase in sales in robots we're absolutely seeing a, an increase in sales in robots across the board um it used to be um uh, when you thought about robots and automation you you would see the you know the, the car commercials the gms the fords the chryslers the big robots making cars moving parts around uh, and predominantly for the longest time that was by far the biggest user uh, however that's flipped around a little bit over the last several years general industry has really embraced using automation and that number just keeps increasing year in and year out. More and more companies are realizing they need to automate. Uh, One of the crutches a lot of companies have been using for several decades now is the fact that when the Canadian dollar is low, our biggest trading partner is the U.S. Let's be clear, by far our biggest trading partner is the United States of America. So if you're dealing with U.S. companies or you're trading with the U.S. companies, you're looking, the Canadian dollar gives you a 25, 35, 40% advantage right there alone. And a lot of companies use that as a as, as an improper crutch for their manufacturing processes over the years because they had a certain amount of cost effectiveness based on that exchange rate. Well, back in 2008, when the dollar went to parity with the U.S. dollar and actually increased above beyond what the U.S. dollar was worth, a lot of those companies had a significant decrease in profits. A lot of them were, didn't become viable anymore. Um, and then since then they've been looking and saying, okay, you know what? I can't continue down this path. I need to do some long-term thinking as to how I need to, what I need, what do I need to do to make my business continue to be viable and make it grow? Uh, so to that end, uh, automation has increased year over year, uh, every year for every year since I've been doing this. And again, I've been doing this for quite some time now. Uh, so definitely more and more companies are using automation. Um, and then the, the second part is uh, what they should be using it for. Uh, it, it's, it's across the board. It's, uh, again, a lot of general industry, uh, a lot of first-time users that are realizing that, you know what, I really need to do something here and I need to think long-term. I think what a lot of people have finally realized is, is they can't continue with these short little band-aid processes. I think one big lesson a lot of companies have learned because of COVID is, um, you know, what is going to be the new norm? This could be the new norm for the next 10 years, 20 years. This could be the new norm, period. So what do I need to do to avoid falling into those traps of uh, I can't get people here or my production is closed because I have an outbreak or my suppliers uh, limited because they can't get product to me. Uh, So people are looking at that saying, okay, what do I need to do? I really need to step into the 21st century. I really need to look at automation. I really need to look at uh, digital fingerprints, uh, digital twins. Uh, that that whole industry 4.0 mm-hmm. uh, was was gaining momentum before COVID. Boy, it's taken off ever since. I mean, it's it's that is the new norm moving forward. Period. That's good. And from what I'm hearing is 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 start investing now. 
And, uh, and, and what we're talking about is, is um, how do we do that? Right. So if you were to kind of share in a few sentences, if someone was sitting back and, and maybe not investing the way they should, what are some, what are some next steps that they, they could take? Uh, really, I, I think what they should do is um, walk through their entire process and look at the areas where, again, it's it's um, either costing the most amount of money or uh, their process are providing the least amount of value add uh, to what their product or what their process is and figure out um, uh, where their highest costs are, where their lowest rates of return as far as what uh, is actually happening on the shop floor. And then... Um, uh, identifying two, three, or four uh, of those key processes. And then I keep going back to this, but get a hold of a reputable integrator, get them to come in, walk through the processes with you and say, and, and talk to them saying, here's an area I have an area of concern about. Here's a process that we should be doing better on. Here's an area that we're, we're not quite as efficient as we should be. And then the integrator will look at you and say, okay, here's two or three different solutions for each of those. Here's what probably makes the most sense as far as uh, rate of return for what your capital dollar is going to going to get you. And then uh, they will always tell you, look, here, start here. This is the biggest bang for your buck. Then from there, move to this process. Then from there, move to the next process. Yeah, it, it's interesting with the manufacturers. And and I, I think sometimes with the small to medium manufacturers that that's even a hurdle for them, too, in that um um, how to even evaluate their business because they're they're trying to keep afloat and keep things moving yeah. forward and and such as the big companies may not have uh, staff to really do that evaluation. Um, one of the things we're finding is 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 helping them out in that that discovery part of hey, if we were to automate where would we get the biggest bang for the buck? Um, but then developing um, requirements. Have you do you see many customers really? going to that level of finding out or developing requirements. Um, and then, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that that's a that's a great uh, area to talk about is, uh, again, part of the evolution of manufacturing and industry in this country is uh, the days of the 20 or 30 engineering staff uh, in your yeah. facility is long gone. I mean, no one does that anymore. Even even the large OEMs uh, don't do that, don't have, you know, 20 or 30 dedicated staff engineers on the payroll at any given point in time. So when a lot of companies look at automating, they go, I, I'm not really sure what I need to automate. I don't know how to automate and I don't know where to automate. Uh, so again, a, a really good step that some companies should look at is getting an integrator to come in and do an audit. Just have them do the audit for you. Have them walk around. And again, that way it's a separate set of eyes and ears looking at your individual processes and figure out, okay, you know what? This is a really easy, great spot that you can automate. You know what? This area, it's probably not the most, the best thing for you to automate. And they can look at the different processes within your facility and say, okay, these are the top two or three. If this was my company, this are the top two or three things that I would automate or I would look at automate or I would look at trying to modernize or do something with. And um, a, a lot of companies should be using that resource of getting a third party uh, integrator to come in and basically just do an audit. Spend a couple of days just looking at your processes, watching how you do things and then have them write a report up for you saying, OK, if this was my company, this is what I would do. And from uh, from your perspective uh, with with Fanuc, I mean Fanuc, I mean Fanuc's treated us well. We we always enjoy seeing what Fanuc's doing around the world. And and uh, uh, is there anything else you'd like to to share uh, in terms of uh, what, what, where you see Fanuc today and when and uh, uh, where they're going in the future? 
the, the great thing about Fanuc is, is they're big on constantly investing in the company and constantly trying to um, come up with new, better, smaller, faster. Uh, I mean, that's that's always been uh, one of the, the um, key pillars of the company. A large portion of our revenue gets turned right back into R&D. Uh, and uh, the one great thing about the way Fanuc operates is Fanuc has robots making robots. Uh, if mm-hmm. you look at the Fanuc robot facility, uh, I mean, Fanuc still manufactures robots in Japan. Uh, uh, a lot of the other manufacturers out there have gone to, uh, you know, China and other lower cost, lower wage cost uh, companies or uh, uh, countries. I apologize. Uh, Fanuc still manufactures in Japan, which is one of the highest cost manufacturing countries of all the G7 nations. The reason being is they have robots making robots. And uh, so it's it's a 72 hours lights out facility. And uh, there, there's two reasons to that. Number one, we can't go around telling people you need to automate and you need to use robots if we're not even using it in our own processes. And number two, in order to understand what a robot needs to do in the manufacturing process, if you're not using it yourself, how do you know where to improve? How do you know what should change? How do you know what things can make it work easier and better? So. Uh, uh, Fanuc is very big into using robots to make robots and using robots to understand uh, how can I, how can I make it better because I'm now using it on a day to day basis. If you don't mind, there's one one thing you brought up a little earlier, Angelo, on safety. Uh, and if is there any kind of new developments in especially in the COVID area that automation is starting to address, especially with you know uh, contact tracing and keeping workers safe. Uh, one of the big areas is um, in a, a newer frontier for automation uh, on the safety side that I've seen with a lot of companies is the overall handling of food, handling of product, handling of, of items that uh, people directly interact with on a daily day basis. And um, we're seeing a lot of automation requirements in food industry and primary food handling, uh, that type of thing. The reason being is, is to try and avoid that human contact with the product uh, where some contamination could possibly happen. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of, that used to be an area where you really couldn't automate or the technology wasn't there as far as primary food handling. But now with the with the technology where it is, uh, with the um, food grade robots available, with food grade grease, stainless steel finishes, uh, USDA approval on, uh, on the robots, that type of thing, we're seeing a lot of uh, primary food handling applications. Whereas in the past, that used to be literally the, uh, you know, you'd see the pictures of the good old days of, you know, 50 people lined along a conveyor belt, all with knives, you know, cutting away pork chops and steaks and that type of thing. Robots are actually doing that now. Yeah. Uh, in terms of like, I, I know I visited your facility in uh, Rochester mm-hmm. Hills and, and you actually just built a new Correct. facility uh, for, for the expansion. Uh, how are you um, making it available for, for people to come and see um the the you have tons of uh, applications at those facilities but during covid it, it makes it difficult uh, what have you been doing to 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 help people see are people still allowed or are you doing something different uh, well for the short term right now people aren't allowed we're trying to uh, adhere to the covid requirements and restrictions as much as humanly possible obviously border crossing uh unless it's essential uh can't happen uh 
what we have been doing and uh, one of the good things about uh, one of the, the new facilities that we have, plus the existing facilities, especially in Rochester Hills and in Mississauga, our, our head office here in Canada, is is uh, they're all wired. They're all uh, Internet connected. They all have cameras. They all have um, uh, the capabilities of, of if you can't physically see the equipment, you can virtually log in. Uh, same thing with every robot. One of the nice things about the robot technology is um, you can actually... If, if it's connected to the internet in the facility, in the plant that it's in, you can dial into that robot. You can look at the teach pendant. You can see exactly what's going on with the robot at that particular point in time. You can see the, the production rates it's achieving, the throughput. Uh, and one of the things that we use as far as aftermarket service is uh, when if, if when you have an issue with a robot, there's a problem or you have a concern or a question, uh, one of the first things the people on the hotline on the phone are going to say is, is it, connect, is it connected to the internet? Can I access it? Can I dial into the robot? And you can actually physically dial right into the robot you can the teach panel comes up like a web page. You can see what's going on. You can see the faults right on the screen. Uh, so again, that kind of leads to what you were talking about earlier about industry 4.0 and the fact that uh, everything is now digitally connected, uh, which makes uh, situations like today with COVID that much easier because now I don't physically have to be there to deal with it. I can actually dial into it or log into it. Uh, if I have access to a smartphone or a computer, I can probably see what's going on. Oh, very neat. Maybe that's something, Michael, we can do at some point is uh, doing some kind of live demonstration uh, through a webinar. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, with a robot on your floor, Eric, I mean, you can, you can, as long as it's plugged into the internet, you can show that, hey, you know what, I'm in, I'm in Calgary right now and I want to see what's going on with this robot. And you pick up your phone or your laptop or your tablet, you can dial right into it and see what's going on. Yeah. It's a very powerful tool. Oh, very neat. Do you find a lot of manufacturers, this is a question for either of you guys, but do you find that there are some facilities, manufacturers that have all this industry 4.0 data that they're not properly using or that they're just kind of sitting on? Uh, I, and yes. Um, again, usually uh, the automotive industry is usually the, the leader in that type of thing. You, they're usually one of the first ones to embrace that. Same with the aerospace, uh, mainly from a tracking point of view. So uh, they've greatly embraced uh, the digital twin and they've greatly embraced having all of using that technology. The pitfall with that, though, is uh, when regardless of what your manufacturing process is, you can generate terabytes of data in a very short period of time. And uh, one of the big challenges is being able to disseminate what data do I need? What data don't I need? What do I need to save? What can I get rid of? What is important in my manufacturer that I need to trace? And what isn't so important that I need to trace? I mean, right now with the robot and with automation, you can trace every motion, every IO point, every bit. And if you're working 24 seven, seven days a week and, uh, and making, you know, 200, 300, 400,000, 500,000 pieces a year. That's a lot of data to go through. And uh, one of the big challenges is, is trying to figure out what data do I need and what data don't I need. You've mentioned it a few times, Angelo, about the digital twin. Um, very cool technology. Um, maybe share from your own perspective and what you're seeing in the market on how that actually uh, um, enables that design first or automation design strategy to uh, to really enhance a customer's uh, project to reach yeah, their goals. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what, basically what the digital twin allows, uh, especially um, uh, first-time users or early users, is they can basically simulate their entire process 
online on their on their computer on their desktop and uh, they can see exactly how everything is going to look they can see exactly how everything's going to run they can see how the robot's going to perform they can see their throughput you can you can animate the entire process the conveyors the robots the parts and what that does is it it allows first-time users or early um, users of automation to be able to actually see what's going to happen without spending a lot of money and uh, basically simply alleviating their fears as to, you know, how's this going to work and what's it going to look like when you've got a, um, a video running showing your exact process and you can look at it and say, oh, yeah, that's my part. OK, look at that. And that's how it's going to move. That's how it's going to be machined. That's how it's going to be handled. That's how it's going to be welded. Really alleviates a lot of their uh, hesitation towards automation. And I've even seen too, as well, for uh, re- reducing that uh, commissioning time, build time, so that uh, you're you're able to literally work out a lot of the risks up front from from a virtual uh, a virtual process. And it doesn't mean that it eliminates all of them, but it, it helps to establish that hey, this is the design of the process, and when we're ready to build it, uh, we'll be that much faster to build and deploy. Absolutely, it. the the turnaround time for automation has gone down exponentially over the last ten to fifteen years. And the reason for that is exactly what you just said, Eric, is in the good old days, you would basically you would figure out what kind of what you wanted to do. Uh, You did some preliminary design, some preliminary engineering. You got everything on the floor. You kind of started to put everything together. You realized this didn't fit. That didn't work. So you took the gas axe out. You started cutting this away, machining that, reprogramming that, moving this around. And it would, you know, 18, 20, 24, 30, 40 weeks was a typical turnaround time. Now with uh, 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 with everything being digitized the way it is, you can do a lot of that work up front. You can physically program your robot on your laptop and do all of that process mm-hmm. right down to your inputs and outputs in your I.O. You can do all of that virtually uh, while everything is being manufactured and put together. And then when everything hits the floor, you basically take the program out of your laptop, you stick it in the comp- in the robot. Uh, it runs basically 99.9% exactly what you did. There's always going to be some tweaking because What's on the virtual isn't never 100% what's on the shop floor. Things always shift a little bit. Things are, the positions may be out a little bit. But uh, to, to your point, Eric, there is, is you can do a lot of that work up front, virtually on the computer, uh, and eliminate uh, a lot of that wasted time. And you can greatly reduce your turnaround time from start to finish. And the nice thing about doing it virtually, if I hit something or smash something, I don't break anything. I can smash the robot on the computer all day long and nothing's going to happen. It's not going to cost me any money. It's going to make me look a little silly when I'm programming it because it keeps running into the wall, but you're not doing any damage. Also, in the, I mean, so, yeah. it used to be uh, when, when a customer came to ourselves or came to an integrator saying, uh, I've got this process and I want to automate it. Uh, in the good old days, you would physically take a robot, you'd bolt it to the floor, you'd mock up their end of arm tool, you'd mock up their part, and you'd physically program it to show them, okay, this is how everything would work. Uh, it took a lot of time, took a lot of money, took a lot of effort. Now you do all that virtually. I mean, everything is done on the computer. Mm. Um, as well as on the back end, whenever there, if there's an issue with the robot or, or a question, the first thing our service technician is going to say is, send me a backup of the robot. I'll run it in our simulation software and I'll tell you exactly what's going on and where it's going on in the process. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, it's been very helpful yeah. for us. Yeah, that support side of being able to do those things. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Is there uh, is there any other uh, converse or topics that uh, that you wanted to make sure that uh, facility managers uh, and or plant managers really get? Because this is a really big opportunity. I, I think we're going through in in people's awareness for automation. So, is there anything that you really want to make sure that that people get across right now, there, Angelo? Um. Yeah. I. I mean, get a hold of a good integrator. Uh, to have them step through what you need to do. Always use design for automation. Always try and apply the KISS principle wherever possible. Keep it simple. Uh, get your operator. The other big thing we didn't talk about a lot uh, today, but we should, is uh, basically operator buy-in. You, you, regardless of what automation you're going to use, uh, regardless of how much ex- how you, how much money you're going to spend on your automation, if your operators and your, your personnel don't take ownership of the equipment, it's never going to work. You really need your operators not to be scared of the equipment, to take ownership and to have buy-in. If they buy into the equipment and and uh, and feel it's it's uh, part of what they do and and, uh, and uh, is beneficial to them, it will succeed. If the operator doesn't think it's beneficial to them or doesn't want to buy in and take ownership. It's ne- it doesn't matter. It's not going to succeed. Period. Eric, you can probably speak to that a lot more than I could do. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, we've talked about that uh, uh, in other conversations, Angelo, about uh, about a good design process. And one of those key parts is is establishing the yeah. stakeholders absolutely. in the beginning. And and we've we've really learned that how important operators, uh, um, supervisors, maintenance, like the whole staff, in, in in especially in a huge change, that everybody is responsible. And when a change like this is going to take place, especially a, a large process change that uh, everybody's inputs needed, but as well needing to make sure that uh, their inputs uh, are valued and as well that they're, they're part of the change that's gonna take place. And if there are any issues, deal with it through the process so that uh, the automation will be able to be used and bring value to the company. But uh, yeah, we've seen situations where where that hasn't taken place, and it, and and it's something that seems very simple. Um, but then, but then the the customer spending more time trying to um, bro- break, uh, fix those broken links uh, versus have have addressed them during the the, the process to uh, uh, getting a good win yeah, for the company. And actually, so that, huge. Yeah, I appreciate yeah, bringing that up. You bring up a really good point as well. Um, what I find a lot of companies forget to do when they're looking at automation is uh, regardless of what their whole process on paper says it should be, one of the things you should always be doing is actually talking to the people on the shop floor that are doing the process day in and day out. They will tell you, you know what, this is how it's supposed to work, but in reality, this is what happens. Or, oh, by the way, you know, this glitch kind of happens from time to time, or these parameters tend to open and close up uh, throughout the summer months or throughout the winter months, or as the temperature goes up and down, or as the, the lighting goes up or down. These are the little variants that we see in the process that unless you talk to the people on the floor that are actually doing it on a day in and day out, you'll, you'll, you won't find out. You need to talk to those people as well, and you need to make sure they buy into the process. If they do, your life becomes so much easier. Yeah, that's a really good point, and, and we find that that very helpful in the uh, in our upfront design process of uh, um, when we're developing the requirements with the customer of of how important it is to talking to each to each uh, individual, especially the the people on the floor, because um, something written on paper from a, a, an operating procedure may list something, but as you're saying, an operator says that's what it says, but this is actually what I do. And you realize, oh my goodness, this actually is going to take a lot more 
uh, complicated automation to do this. But if you didn't capture that, um, then that could have been a failed project. Um, just because of that one item missed from from a very key individual as an operator to provide that. So very, very important to capture requirements, but making sure that you reach all the parties involved in the process so that you can um, uh, make the requirements actual and, and then design your automation around those requirements. Absolutely. So 27 years. Yeah. Uh, um, do you enjoy what you do? Uh, lots, I, I know you've done lots of robot applications. Um, do you care to share what your most exciting one is if you're allowed uh, to? I, I mean, there's been a lot. It, it, what I think what's most exciting to me about is it's constantly changing. Uh, it's, it's never the same thing over and over again. Um, there's always new industries uh, out there that are looking at automation. And um, uh, what I find the most exciting, to be honest with you, is the more I go out and see different industries and different applications, then on my personal life, when I'm going through the store, I'm like, okay, yeah, I know that that product is. I've been in that facility or I didn't, or, you know, and you look at things and, and you go and you realize, oh yeah, okay, I know how that's made or I've been to that facility or I, I've, uh, I've seen where that's done. And it, it's it's kind of neat that way. It's, it, it's, it's amazing. Again, we kind of talked about this earlier that, you know, a lot of manufacturing has left Ontario and has left Canada, but there's still a lot of manufacturing here locally. And uh, you go through the stores and you see, and, and a lot of stuff, believe it or not, is made in your own backyard, which is quite amazing. Yeah, very neat. I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, one of our one of our things we really believe in is the quality of life, and and uh, along with that of of uh, keeping people safe. And so uh, we and we know that uh, Fanuc uh, he holds those dear as well. Um, and uh, so yeah, it's been enjoyable working with you, and looking forward to seeing more and more applications, and and seeing more and more of that uh, uh, manufacturing coming back into Canada um, and supporting manufacturing. To knowing that uh, hey you can do it here just like they're doing in japan in the most expensive area Absolutely. that hey with with automation you can you can uh, uh, bring your manufacturing into your Absolutely. backyard and the, the other thing that really amazes me is is the ingenuity the creativity and um, uh, the entrepreneurship that's out there uh, in today's marketplace People are using robots and automation in, in, in ways that I would have never dreamed of 20 years ago. It's quite amazing that uh, 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 people can come up with these ideas. And uh, it, it never ceases to amaze me of the different ways people can come up with. And it, it's, it's, it's quite fun from that point of view. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Angelo, for coming on the podcast. I have learned a ton and I I know we're always, always delighted and we'll definitely have to have you back on again. Sure. Hopefully uh, uh, we were able to uh, hit some topics that everyone wants to hear about and uh, provide some level of insight. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Appreciate having me here. Thanks for listening to the Making Things Better podcast presented by J Automation. If you are a manufacturer that wants to make things better, subscribe to our podcast, follow us on LinkedIn or Facebook at J Automation, or download our design first white paper at jautomation.com.